Hey, this is Cody. And Kevin. And Franklin. Thanks for joining us on the Conversations on Jesus podcast. Pull up a chair and hang out as we talk about who Jesus is and what that means for our lives. Hello and welcome to the Conversations on Jesus podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kevin and I'm here with Franklin and Cody. What's up, guys? Just living the dream, you know. Another great another <laughs> great day. Yeah. I think that you've said that multiple times to start of the podcast. I Living think you have to. Because yeah. it's great. It's yeah. a great day to be alive. You I'm not know? saying it's bad. I'm yeah. Just... Yeah. It's always a great day to be alive. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. It's cool to have like a, a catchphrase that you can expect from <laughs> That's the right. podcast that you listen to every yeah. single time. <laughs> it's a great day to be alive. Absolutely. Put a stamp on it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Trademark. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we are in the Gospel of Matthew. And right now we're beginning... Uh, chapter 9, we just finished up talking about, uh, well, we finished up chapter 8 where Jesus exercises a demon um, and then it goes into the pigs and the pigs rush off the bank. And now in chapter 9, um, Matthew continues the story. And here we have a story that shows up in the two other synoptic gospels, Mark and Luke, um, not in the gospel of John, but the famous story of the man being brought in by his friends and Jesus saying that he's going to forgive his sins and then he heals him and there's a big to do about all that. What are you guys seeing in there? What um, questions came to mind or what should we talk about in that section? Um, right away. I mean, it's not a big one, but it's cool to note that in verse one, when Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his town, uh, when I, when I was kind of, well, I mean, when I read my Bible in the footnotes, it was Capernaum. That's mm-hmm. what they said. So um, just kind of acknowledging that we're in Capernaum right now and understanding that. Yeah. 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 Where it, Jesus said, I don't know if we already looked at it. Maybe it's later that a prophet has no honor. Like a prophet in his own hometown has no honor. You have to go outside. So here Jesus is coming to his own people mm-hmm. and we're going to find that not everything goes great. Luke four twenty four. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you thinking, Cody? This chapter for me was, you know, one of those chapters where it's like uh, Matthew really demonstrating over and over and over uh, what Jesus is is looking for, mm-hmm. and it's like faith, faith, That's right. yep. faith every time. Uh, and and something that it was like as I was going through, kind of resonated with me. It's like so Matthew is setting the stage, kind of. It, it, it seems like, and mm-hmm. he's, you know, again hammering down this point. Of faith showing it in, in different ways showing different examples and like in my head and we'll get to it near the end though the demon possessed man mm-hmm. it was almost like for me matthew is like setting it up with like small things small things oh, small things yeah. small things and then at the end he kind of caps it off with this like big one of like driving out a demon and it was almost like okay you know all these people like jesus like here we go again mm-hmm. we're gonna do it again yep and yeah, it was just, that, yeah. it was neat for me to see how Matthew kind of painted that story right? of like, okay, you know, here it takes faith mm-hmm. and to this area, it takes faith mm-hmm. and to here, it also takes faith. Yep. Even to the most extreme of being possessed by a demon, right? it takes faith. Right. And it was cool to, for me to see Matthew reiterating that and painting that story of like, it takes faith right? through anything, right? faith. Right. So. Yeah, there's no doubt that Matthew, when he's writing, wants to tell an accurate story, but he's telling the story that he wants to tell. Mm-hmm. And for sure, your point is valid that in here, one of the things he wants to get across is that 
these things are happening because people have faith. Yeah. And we saw that in chapter eight and it continues in chapter nine. And yeah, yeah. those are good points. This story and as it shows up in the other synoptic gospels are, is one of my favorites from Jesus because of the layered things that come out from it. So you have a man who is um, paralyzed, his friends bring him in. And then Matthew says, let's see here in verse two, it says some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And some people have made a, a big deal out of, well, why would Jesus forgive a man for whom the faith he saw was his friends and not the man's faith himself? And that bothered me for a long time. And I don't think it's wrong necessarily to, to think down that road, but I don't know why we have to um, narrow down their faith to just the people carrying the man, why it can't include the paralyzed man as well. I don't know if you guys had seen that or noticed it or thought through um, some of those same things. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was interesting, like you said, where it, it says the, the people who brought him had faith. Mm-hmm. Matthew didn't say anything about the actual, the paralyzed man having any faith. It was the people who brought him who had faith that Jesus would heal him. Right. He didn't necessarily believe it, but they brought the paralyzed man to him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it's neat to see Jesus um, recognizing the faith of those people uh-huh. and then saying, okay, they have faith and I'm going to show you why. Right. Like you're going to be healed because of their faith. Yeah. And because of that, that's why. Yeah. And it's like out of that love and their faith, I'm going to demonstrate to you that I am who they say I am. And not only that, but I'm going to do more than just heal you physically. Right. I'm going to forgive your sins as well. Right. Which is, that's where people push back and they say, I'm okay that he gets healed based on the faith of his friends. But where is this forgiving his sins? If the man doesn't even have faith, isn't that the least you have to have in order to be forgiven of your sins is faith? Yeah, but that's not the root of his problem. It's not. It's not. The healing the physical healing right. isn't the root of his pro isn't at the core the the issue. Mm-hmm. It's his lack of faith. Yeah. So how, do you think oh, I'm sorry, you can go ahead. Uh, so how do we know that the man did not ask the men carrying him to take him to Jesus? Well that's what I've always th- oh, that's what I started to think about this story. Like how did this man end up here? It says he's paralyzed. It doesn't say he can't talk. Right. And and it says some men brought to him a paralyzed man uh-huh. lying on a mat when Jesus saw there. Maybe maybe he's grouping them all. Right. Like there as in the man on the mat and the men carrying him. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I have thought too. Yep. Because I've heard the argument that this is this is an amazing story because Jesus has forgiven the sins of a man who doesn't have faith in him. And I'm like, that seems inconsistent with the rest of the New Testament. I get that he can be healed based on somebody else's faith because we've seen that happen. But to have your sins forgiven and not have faith in Jesus, I I just I think that's making the text mean something that it that's not required of it. He saw their faith. So one it could be he's grouped in there. And then two, how did he get there in the first place? And I've always thought that exact same thing. Well, he talked with his buddies probably, and they talked about Jesus and yeah, can you take me to him? So and I guess, how, I guess my question is, uh, so like the centurion, right? He didn't necessarily had faith in Jesus, uh, as a savior, but he had faith that Jesus could heal him. Right. Right. So 
that's where, right? Like the, the centurion wasn't expecting Jesus to forgive his sins. Right. He was expecting him to heal. Right. And Jesus healed. Mm-hmm. But we don't know anything of whether the centurion had faith in Jesus as a savior. Right. It doesn't say anything about right. that. Yeah. Same thing with the, the woman who t- touched mm-hmm. his, his hem. Right. She thought in her head that if I touch his hem, I'll be healed. Right. And she held that internally mm-hmm. because she was ashamed of bleeding for 12 years. Right. And then she goes and touches his hem and healed. Yep. Right. She didn't necessarily believe that he was her savior. Right. And could forgive sins. Right. She believed that by touching the hem, she's healed like a doctor would be. Yep. Right. Like a doctor would. And so I guess that's where, for me, the pushback is like, right. do, we, do we know with those other two cases that, you know, they believed in Jesus would forgive their sins? Right. The, what I find unique about this story is that those stories with the centurion and the woman bleeding and the, the girl, what well, we're going to see that's raised from the dead or the, the servant who's healed, none of those stories talk about sins. This is the only one that's true. where Jesus forgives his sins. And then in order to prove that he's able to forgive sins, he heals him. It's almost like a secondary thing. Yeah. They bring him in, I'm sure, to be healed. What does Jesus do first? Well, he forgives his sins. Then everybody says, well, this fellow's blaspheming in, in verse 3. And Jesus goes, okay, you don't believe I can do that. I'm going to show you I can do that by making this paralyzed man walk. And so that's why I think this story is a little bit unique. And I don't think that I have the interpretation of it. I have just, I've always found that interpretation lacking when people like to poke holes in the have faith in Jesus. Well, you don't really need to have faith in Jesus in order to have your sins forgiven. Point Here's a case in point one, Matthew 9, the guy didn't have faith. Okay, I can see how you would say that, but I don't think the text requires that interpretation. Right. And and where's multiple stories right. that follow that or give you that basis? Right. And like you said before, I don't know that there is a, a common ground or common standing of multiple verses saying or, or showing where Jesus didn't want someone to have faith right? in order to be healed. Like I would agree in that it's probably more of an oddity than yeah. the the common practice for yeah. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was interesting in the parallel story in the gospel of Mark, we have a line that doesn't show up in Matthew, but the, the teachers of the law were sitting there and they say, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. And that's where the quote ends in Matthew. They say this fellow is blaspheming in, in uh, verse three, mm-hmm. but in Mark, they follow up that statement and say, who can forgive sins, but God alone, which really zeroes this story into um, Mark is almost saying, look, if you didn't understand what was at stake here, this is not just, oh, he forgave somebody's sins. This is only God can forgive sins. And now we have Jesus on the scene here. And he seems to think he has the authority to do that. Matthew leaves that part out. Not because I don't think he sees it as important. He assumes that we know that we're going to be tracking along with him. But Mark makes it explicit. And then of course, Matthew in, in verse eight says, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Mm-hmm. So there, when you know, we get it at the end. Yeah, I, I also think uh, verse five is interesting as well. And just the way he talks to uh, some of the teachers when he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Exactly. Like it's easier for him to say, well, uh, us or just in general to say, get up and walk. 
like walk it off or you know but the guy's paralyzed so that's obviously going to be hard for us to do and then jesus can do that so why can't he say your your sins are forgiven as well or or is it the other way around okay is it it's easy to tell somebody their sins are forgiven Mm -hmm. i can just tell you okay i've forgiven your sins yeah you can't see that but if i tell you to stand up and walk okay and you get up and walk away there's no denying what i just did yeah so I think, I'm not trying to... No, yeah. I'm, I think it's the, I agree with what you said if we flip it around. Okay. I think what Jesus is saying, look, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Not everybody can tell you to stand up and walk. Yeah. But if I tell you to stand up and walk and you do it, there's a pretty good chance I can forgive your sins as yeah, well. Yeah, you know? yep, yep. Well, yeah, and I think like the the Pharisees probably uh, and the scribes, the elders, right? Like they would probably say... Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But they can't necessarily say get up and walk. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what I thought was neat was like, so the, the scribes or whatnot, they scribes said to themselves mm-hmm. and then, but Jesus knowing their thoughts. Yeah. Right. That's right. So not really implying that they said it out loud, mm-hmm. said it in, in their hearts. Right. And Jesus knew that. Right. So that alone is like, holy, like if, if they didn't realize before when Jesus, you know, calls them out and, and says, why do you think evil in your hearts? They're, they're probably like, did you say that to him? <laughs> right. I, I didn't say that out Did you say right. that out loud? I, I was just thinking that. <laughs> right. Like, I just, I mean, I know we all thought it and we like made eye contact, but like, I didn't right. actually, we didn't actually say it. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> right. Did we? I, I don't remember. And it's like, it's that. I mean, it, and it shows up later, mm-hmm. later in this chapter as well. Mm-hmm. But that idea of like something in your heart and Jesus identifies that. Yeah. It's like, absolutely okay, then clearly, you know, where, where our thoughts, mm-hmm. where our heart is, wherever that lies, yeah. God knows and God cares. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it's, we, we often hear the phrase, you know, you can't hide from, from Jesus or you can't hide from God. And for me, at least it's like, oh yeah, duh, God's everywhere. You can't hide. But then to think about like, even, even in my thoughts right, or in my heart, like, right. When I'm thinking like, hmm, that'd be nice to have that money or that'd be really mm-hmm. cool to have that car. He knows that. He knows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knows that those thoughts are mm-hmm. are being rooted and planted in my head. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's crazy. To, it, like like I said, it's crazy to think. Wait, mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to blow by that mm-hmm. and say like, oh yeah, God's everywhere. He, I mean, he knows everything. Yeah. But then not apply that to every thought right and yeah i mean later on paul speaks to it in ephesians and Mm -hmm. and and whatnot and we'll get there but just here it was like hmm yeah the scribes thought yeah david says i can't even go to the realm of the dead and escape you Mm -hmm. you know you can find me there it says i think in the gospel of john jesus doesn't need the testimony of men because he already knows what's in men's hearts like he sees us Mm -hmm. and there's one way to look at it where you're like oh he's he sees every bad thing I do and he's, well, okay, you can look at it that way. Or you can say, yeah, he does see every thought that goes through your head and yet he still does things for you. He still calls you to himself. So, well, and he still sees all the good. Exactly. Right. Yep. I mean, it's not, like you said, it's not just that he identifies the bad and says, ah, right. Kevin, you shouldn't have thought that. He also says, Kevin, you know, right. I love you for doing this. Yep. So then, yeah, we move on to Jesus calling Matthew. And the, the imagery here is, is funny for me because it's like, okay, Matthew's describing his experience of being called by Jesus. Yeah. And like 
picturing like what the, what that looks like mm-hmm. for me to write about how I was called, right, and to describe it in the way that Matthew did is interesting for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, so Matthew was a he. I mean, he was Jewish, mm-hmm. right, and and so with the uh, the Romans backing him as a tax collector, right. he would have been viewed as somewhat like a traitor. Yeah, like a sellout. People. Right. Yeah. Like, how could you? You're working for them. And Matthew's over here like, I'm living the good life. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like the way you put that, a sellout. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I've always been amazed at Jesus' calling of Matthew. Right. Follow me. Yep. And up, up and away he goes. Mm-hmm. And like, it makes it like, what I question is, you know, was there more to it? And Matthew just was like, nah, that part's not important. Yeah. Or was it really just... Jesus said, follow me. So I got up and left. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think the foundation of what Jesus has called us all to do at its foundation is just to follow him. There are certain things that come after that, but there's nothing that comes before it. Yeah. It's not do X, Y, and Z, then come follow me. It's you come follow me now and then we'll clean all this stuff up later. And yeah. yeah. So I guess my question was more so like not thinking that Jesus would put you know, stipulations around doing that. But like, mm-hmm. was it more of a conversation Oh, where Jesus and Matthew were talking? Yeah. And Matthew's like, yeah, they don't need to know the details. They just, the idea is that, yeah, follow me. Right. And I went and did it. Like, that's what I'm wondering. It's like, did Matthew paraphrase a conversation between him? And just not mm-hmm. that it has any relevance. Right. But it was just curious. Like yeah. when he says, follow me, and that's all that we hear. Right. From Matthew's calling. Mm-hmm. That's why I said like at the beginning, like thinking about me telling the story of how I was called mm-hmm. and there's more to it than just follow me. Sure. So then how I wonder how Matthew says, follow me and he right. followed and that's all that he says between that interaction. Right. In, in Mark and Luke, they both record it the same way. There's not like a, um, an extended conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I believe in the earlier in Matthew, when he finds the people on the the beach, he says, "Follow it's, me." It's the same, same thing. thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's true. Yeah, and, and when they were fishing in the boat, mm-hmm. follow me. Yep. Yeah. Or yeah. Come and I'm follow sh- me, and I'll make you fishers, man. That's right. That's what he said, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's more stuff going on, right? But the core message is Just follow me. Follow me. You got to yeah. make a decision. You following me, or are you doing your own thing? Yeah. yeah. That's true. And so people get upset because now. Jesus has told Matthew to follow him and then he goes to have dinner with him at his house and tax collectors show up and sinners come um, and the Pharisees see it. And in verse 11, they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, it's not the healthy you need a a doctor, but the sick, which um, is one of those statements that we can breeze by, but it is the mission of Jesus. He did not come for the righteous. He came for sinners. He did not come for healthy people. He came for those who needed a savior, who needed a doctor. And they are seeing him go to unhealthy people, which they they themselves don't even realize that they're unhealthy, but they have this group of people that they that they call unhealthy and Jesus is going, "What did you expect me to do?" Like I don't this is this is the reason I've showed up here is to eat with these people and to bring them into into my kingdom yeah it's a, like it's like the pharisees or doctors that don't really want to help people yeah that's right <laughs> they're like yeah i got i'm a doctor would do you see sick people no right do you want them to get better yeah how do you expect them to get better yeah right they'll figure it out they'll yep. figure it out yeah i never thought of it that way 
It's like because I mean they they know the law, they know the Torah. They I mean they're knowledgeable in Scripture, mm-hmm. but then they don't actually go and help sick people. You're right. I mean, <laughs> I mean they're like, yeah, I'm a doctor. Yeah. 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 Why? Because oh, I like the title. Right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. It's interesting to me. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just to tap onto what you were saying in 12, um, mm-hmm. it's just, it's almost reestablishing the Beatitudes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, throughout the Beatitudes, he, got, he had already said like, blessed are the meek, blessed are. Uh, Poor in spirit. The, right. Yeah. yeah the, the sick. Absolutely. Not, not the healthy who. Yeah. The doctor. That's yeah. a good point. That's exactly what he's doing. Well, then Jesus says, go and learn what this means. Mm-hmm. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Right. Uh, so it's like, okay, what does it mean? I mean, Jesus wants us to know that he desires mercy, not forgiveness. Right. Not sacrifice. Right. Well, it's like thinking in that time, they knew how to sacrifice very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like they sacrificed all the time. Right. But did they lose touch of what mercy meant and showing mercy meant? And it's like, how do you, how do you get the group of people that Jesus spoke to on the sermon, the sermon on the Mount? Well, because they weren't shown mercy right? by the people who were supposed to be showing them mercy. Right. Mm-hmm. And the people who were supposed to be showing them mercy, they knew how to sacrifice. They sacrificed all the time. Right. Animals, right. right. They did, they made their sacrifices. Right. But it was almost like Jesus calling them out for having empty sacrifices. Yeah. Because yes, you can go and do this, but. What that's supposed to do and show you and and convict you to is this mercy right showing mercy and you guys are lacking that right and so Jesus is like, yeah, go and learn what that means first, right, yeah, and you think maybe could be a stretch, you think he's talking about his death here with that quotation, yeah, maybe, um, oh, the sacrifice thing, yeah, um, I think it's connected. I don't necessarily think he's alluding to his death here. No, 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 not at all. I'm not but, saying that. Yeah. But it's definitely connected. Yeah. For sure. Like desiring mercy, which they didn't show upon him, which right. he knew that was going to happen, mm-hmm. but not sacrifice. Right. I don't know. It just kind of hit me as we were reading yeah. through it and talking uh, kind of all at once. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. So I think the, something that I saw in the next section Yeah. Uh, definitely was Jesus's first time, I think. Le- alluding to his yeah. crucifixion. Uh-huh. Can I say one thing before we move there, mm-hmm. though? Um, the, the desire, mercy, not sacrifice thing, it can be seen, I think, as sometimes, well, Jesus is just making this up out of nothing. What do you mean you desire mercy, not sacrifice? Doesn't Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers of Deuteronomy show us that you actually desire sacrifices a lot? And what you are pointing to is it they've taken what sacrifices were and what they were meant to be and they flipped them over instead of offering sacrifices and realizing that a merciful god has set up that system they have now turned sacrifices in a way to control god that now if i offer a sacrifice i tell god what to do and and then you know uh, a couple thousand thousands of years go by and and the system is now turned into well now we got a full-blown system with pharisees and and uh and uh, a sacrificial uh way to to make money in the temple and everything and and their prophet samuel back in first samuel he says this does the lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the lord to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams which even in there you have the prophet uh, the prophet samuel saying look guys 
you you are messing the system up already. In Psalm 40, it says, sacrifice and, and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And you go, what do you mean you didn't require it? You absolutely did. But the way that that the system had been turned over, he did not require that. Um, and then the quotation comes from Hosea. So you have, and, and there's quotations in, in Isaiah too. So you have multiple Old Testament prophets. You have the psalmist all saying, look, Israel, the people of God, you are you are tampering with a system. You're flipping it on its head and it's not going to work that way. And here you have Jesus calling somebody out of darkness and the Pharisees are going, whoa, 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 you can't do that. And he goes, okay, here's where your system is messed up. You want to talk about what you can't do. How about, how about um, you go learn in this, what this means? I desire mercy and not sacrifice and then come and talk to me later. Like it's funny that interaction back and forth of like the Pharisees, like, whoa, like you can't be doing that. Right. It's just like, are you a pot calling the kettle black? Yeah. Like, what are you doing here? Right. Yeah. Right. Like for Jesus. And yeah, it's funny. Like funny you say that. Cause like, I, um, so like this whole chapter for me is like by the end, it's almost that idea of like, just like, here we go again. Right. Like, well, yeah, here we go. Oh, yep. there's another one. Let's go. Mm-hmm. And it's like over and over. Yeah. And it's like that relentlessness from Jesus to continue to show. And at the same time, still move towards the mission right. mm-hmm. that he set out to accomplish. Right. Yeah. Next section, talking about fasting. Yeah. A conversation between the Pharisees and, and Jesus. Mm-hmm. So then it's like Jesus wanted to make sure that uh, they knew that things were different with him in the picture now. Mm-hmm. That yes, you know, this is how it was. And yes, it's okay to, you know, to, to mourn or to fast when I'm not here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's good, but I'm here. Right. So while I'm here, come to me. Right. Like heed in me and fasting is good Mm -hmm. and it has its place and it has its time. And after I'm gone, it'll still be there. Right. And I still think that you should do this. Right. You should still fast after I'm gone. But for the time being, your fasting can be replaced with me. Right. Mm -hmm. And and seeking me. Right. In that. And, And so, yeah, it's like he's saying, you know, there's fasting isn't bad, but come to me. I'm right. here. Yeah. Use the resource. Come to the, the, the source while it's here because it won't be here forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, like I think this might be one of the first times that he's alluding to um, his crucifixion or potentially mm-hmm. being. Yeah. That he's not going to be with him forever. Right. Yeah. yeah. And absolutely. It's not like in a direct way. It's like. Right. Let me explain this story in a way that you're going to understand. Right. But also show you like you know i'm not going to be here forever right Right. this story doesn't play out that way right i'm here for a reason i'm here for a purpose i'm going to accomplish that right and once i do i'm not present in the flesh here with you right and yeah yeah were were they expecting them or were they expecting him to be there with him for a longer amount of time because I, I knew that they were expecting like a political leader mm-hmm. and someone to overthrow Rome and bring them out of and a military leader. R- and, right. Yeah. But so to them, did that mean that he was going to be like a ruler for, I mean, he, what he is, but for in their eyes in flesh, you mean? R- yes. Yes. Yeah. Like in flesh for, I mean, I think their expectation would have been that based on mm-hmm. the history and what they had seen before. Yeah, right. I mean, you're yeah. talking, King David, long time. Yep. Moses, Moses, long, long time. time. Yeah. Right. And so their expectation is 
the Messiah is going to come. He's going to overthrow Rome and he's going to lead us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he comes into Jerusalem, they sing Hosea, um, Hosea or Hosanna, not Hosea. They sing Hosanna. They're, they're glorifying God because the king of the Jews has arrived and he's coming into Jerusalem and they're getting ready to make him king. And that's what Jesus has a problem with a number of times is they want to make me king and they don't understand what me being king is. Mm -hmm. They think, I think what you're getting at is they're going to set me up as ruler and I'm going to rule them for the next 70 years or whatever until I die. And that's not the plan. I don't think that they believed. Well, I guess I don't know enough on how at this point, how the theology had worked out where, okay, do they believe that the Messiah is going to be divinized somehow where all of a sudden he's going to become uh, immortal or he's going to be around forever or if he's just going to have a rule that will exist forever and and Israel will be brought to the top and God's people will rule the world and all of that. So when I go and read it, I'm like, well, of course he's not going to be there forever, but that's just the way that I look at it. Right. Um, but I think Cody's point is clear from the text. Jesus doesn't believe he's going to be there forever. Oh, right. Yeah. <clears throat> the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them right. and then they'll fast. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting that you, you brought up like Moses, King David, like well, how how long did Moses live? He was like 132 or something. He, like well, that. he was 99 years old when he got the call to go free the Israelites, I think. Right. You know, so yeah, he was an old, old man. Yeah. Right. An right. old geezer. Yeah. yeah. And at the time, Jesus was only 32, 33 ish. Right. 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 Maybe younger. Yeah. And ages were getting messed with in the Old Testament. So you're running at the tail end of people living hundreds of years right. to now Moses. He's a hundred plus. Yep. And so it, it's weird. But yeah. yeah, he's Jesus is a young man yeah, at this right. point. I mean, yeah. I'm older than Jesus was at this time, which is crazy. You know? I'm not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you're not. You're older than his disciples, though, yeah. which is wild, too. But yeah, he's showing... Jesus in this section is he showing that there was an old way of doing things and there's now a new way. Um, What about fasting? Well, he says, well, you don't understand. Okay, the bridegroom is here, so they're not going to fast. This is the new way that we're doing things. When when the bridegroom is taken away, then they're going to fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the old garment, making making the tear worse. He's teaching the Pharisees, look, there, there was an old way to do things. I'm doing a new thing. This is why I'm doing a new thing, because if I try to take the old and and put it together with the new, it's going to ruin all of this stuff. You either have to be all in with me or you can't have any of me. It's not, you can't be a a good old boy Pharisee and take part in the kingdom of God. You got to pick one. And it's the same for us. We can't have a foot in the world and a foot in the kingdom of God as we move forward um, because then they're going to be ruined. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Yeah, I agree. Something that just hit me. So the the wineskins, I never thought about it in like this idea of uh, us being reborn uh, into the life of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like we can't carry on anything else from before. We have to become dead to our old selves, That's yes. right? Right? And, and Jesus saying you can't put new new wine into old wineskins. The skin bursts, the wine is spilled, skins are destroyed, mm-hmm. right? Like I pick, I compare that to like us in our life, and when we're reborn into believing. It's like we have to be completely dead to our old selves mm-hmm. so that it's destroyed. Right. And then uh, he goes on and says, new wine, put in fresh wine skins, and so both are preserved. That's right. Like yep. we're preserved when we 
believe in Jesus. Yeah. Okay. I, ne- I never like yeah. made that comparison. I get look, seen it that way of like, hmm, and Jesus even here when he's talking about wineskins yeah. and how he's not going to be here forever. Right. Can also be applied in the sense of us and our eternity and salvation through him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, I could have looked this up. What are wineskins? Uh, it's like a, I think like a pig stomach, right? Well, yeah, it's. It's what they kept the wine in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a container for wine. Oh, it makes sense. But they would slaughter an animal, cut its head off and its legs off. And then I think they would dig out everything but the hide and then use that. Use the hide? Yeah, I think. Gotcha. I thought it was an internal organ. Maybe. Like, yeah. I, one or the other. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's from an animal and yeah. And then holds the wine for Interesting. Them. Yep. Huh. And that's why you have to have a new wine skin for new, new wine, wine because as the wine... Um, expands the new wineskin has to be flexible to hold that and if you try to put in an old one it's going to bust it and then what do you get your wine Mm -hmm. is spilled and your wine skin is ruined so interesting yeah yeah and now we have glass bottles that's right (laughs) and they don't burst that's right thank you for tuning in on another episode of the conversations on jesus podcast that's a wrap for matthew chapter 9 and we hope to see you again yeah